Yeah, for sure. And honestly, I had actually asked my fourth grade instructor, Trisha Wynn, back in 2007 when I was in fourth grade, if I could write about it as an assignment. And she was religious as well, but you know, she had to say no because we're not allowed to preach religion in schools. But I did ask her if I could share it at the time. Yeah, and and you know that's I don't know I don't have the answer to that you know like things have have changed, um, but uh, I, I just something brought to mind there was a video someone sent to me yesterday of a, a an ex uh, a gang member in Melbourne Australia um, he like he's in his oh, I'd have to say close to nineties now or high late eighties, and he was sharing how he was in a gang and they did some pretty full-on things back in the day, like full-on gang fights, chains, knives, bats. He said, he said, we even got to the point where we grabbed one of the other gang members' leaders and put his hand on the ground. We ran over his car. Sorry, I'm, this is graphic, but they ran over his hand multiple times to break all the bones in his hand. And the reason I'm sharing the graphics of his violence is when Billy Graham was coming to Australia back in the day, uh, him and 10 gang members had planned, they made zip guns and they went to the event planned to kill Billy Graham. And uh, they were in the audience and uh, because he said the reason he hated God was because um, his father was taken from him at such a young age. And he said, I just went out in the backyard and screamed. He said, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you for taking. And he said, so anything to do with anything like that faith, he, he hated it. And he said, when he heard Billy Graham was coming, they made these zip guns. They went to the event. He said, wait till he calls everybody out. And they went out to the center of the Oval. The MCG was packed. Like it was just hundreds of thousands of people there, right? And um, he said, we got there and we're listening to the message. And he said, next thing, I'm crying. He said, and out of the 10 guys that went there, nine gave their lives over to you know, the faith, and he said, till this day, I think some of them have passed away, but they changed their whole lives, and I think he joined the Salvation Army after that, so that's an incredible video to watch, you know, people's journeys of choices they make, you know? Yeah, and not only that, but after, after I left Estes Park in 2012, I went through my teenage years that I described in this book, and I made the mistake of stop, of stopping my practice of christianity like yeah, i didn't well, I'd, say, I'd say you probably stopped you because like um mark just said you stopped your faith mate like you know yeah um and it, it, we all have a different opinion of it but you know like christianity or religion sometimes like mark said those they can get tangled up in mm. different ways and beliefs you know i think it's just your faith, man, you know, like you, you, yeah, you kept I, your faith and you went back into your faith of what you believe, you know? Yeah, I made the mistake of leaving my faith, you know? Yeah. And then what happened was I went through my rough spot and it was around 2016 when I experienced a loss that you can read about in the book. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, I need to go back to church. Mm -hmm. And when I went back to church, I spoke to a couple pastors and they gave me some advice. And a few nights later in October of 16, I had a spiritual rebirth and it was sort of a sob story. And then afterwards I had a relationship with God again. That's
And and you're doing some amazing writing too, Doug, sharing your stories in, you know, like ways in your book, uh, Moses and the Great Escape. Um, and maybe your next book, uh, once you and me finish the science fiction book that we're, we're still working on, you should write one about your faith. But let me just dive back. Thanks for sharing that. That's a great story about the bears. I'd never heard that before. I just want to dive back into Mark quickly before we run out of time. You, your mention there also about, you know, the ups and, well, like Doug said, the ups and downs of life, like Doug mentioned, oh, I, I made a mistake, I did something wrong. I don't believe we do things, it's just life occurs, you know, things happen and um, we don't want to label ourselves as being wrong and bad. I know their words are legitimate, but it's just life occurs, you know, it's just being able to get out and get past that and keep moving. Um, and, you know, Brian De Palma, his documentary is fantastic for artists to watch because he said he had far more failures than he had, you know, oh. like he had amazing successes, but the failures he had, you, when you started talking about your stories, it reminded me of him and he just had so many failures in his early days, but he never gave up. He kept making short films, kept making them, making films, getting finance, film didn't do so good, had a couple of bad years, but he never gave up, you know. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's 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 been my journey. Absolutely. I mean, I think that I'm I'm still coming out of a period of, of great lesson learning, you know, and, yeah. and and I'm looking forward to what's ahead. Um, but yeah, I think my, my my faith journey really my my experience of Christianity really began when I was nine years old because I was uh, my mother was living in New York and uh, I was living in Sydney with my grandparents. And my mother had, had had found, you know, uh, found Jesus in a in a church here in Sherman mm. Oaks, actually in Los Angeles. Yeah, and, I remember you saying that. Yeah, and she came back and and um, basically shared her experience with the entire family, and then literally one by one, all of our family members took the same journey, um, including myself, and and we went to a church in Greenacre in Sydney, um, and we all became, you know uplifted by by an experience with um with god and um encouraged by that and there was a lot of healing that occurred in our family because you know a family that, that came from apartheid south africa yeah. was it, it bound to be broken and we were just we were broken um mm. but then something happened a couple of years later um when i was 12 uh where my um my aunt took her own life and um, That's you know, she, she was suffering for a long time. She, she suffered from anorexia um, and a lot of stuff had happened to her in her life that had pushed her to that, to that point. Mm. Um, and she was one of the, the most beloved per people in my life. You know, she was like a, a best friend. She was a surrogate mother. She was a sister. You know, just so many things to me, and, and we were very close. Like she'd take me to the movies every weekend, and and to time zone to play video games, and and that loss kind of crippled everybody's almost everybody's faith in the family. I think it, well, they definitely stopped going to church. You know, yes. And and so my teenage years were very different to my to to my late childhood in that I didn't I had the belief in God. I had I constantly felt this presence that he was there, but I, I didn't have a community. And to be honest, we were a little bit disillusioned with church, you know, like whenever yeah. we went to church, we, f we felt that it was like more about 
an organization, more about asking for money, more about, you know, um, and, and, you know, sometimes, you know, as is with any community or any organization, there's an, there's a neglect that sets in when the needs of the, of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And, uh, and so it wasn't until I was probably in my early twenties that I started going to church again. And even then I never committed to it. I didn't, I just could not ever relate to a church. So my, my walk with the faith has, has, has been one that has been very personal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's been one that's been very centered in prayer and, and communion with God. Mm. Um, but it's never been one that's been bound by a, a community. And yeah, through the years I've had flirtations with going to a church for a while, you know, I've been with you a few times, Andy. Yeah. yeah. You. But, you know, I, I, I walked, a, I was very much in the wilderness, you know, metaphorically speaking until my early 30, uh, my, my late thirties, you know, mm probably till I was 36 years old. And, you know, I'd read the Bible, you know, I had, I, I, I experienced like a lot of, I was living as a hypocrite, basically, you know, I was yeah. saying, I was saying that I believed in God, but I was, you know, I was drinking and occasionally doing, you know, whatever, um, you know, yeah. I was addicted to booze. I was, you know, working as a bartender on the side. I was, mm. um, you know, womanizing a bit and, um, you know, doing all the things that I shouldn't have been doing that just made me feel less whole as a human being. Yeah. I was in toxic relationships at times. I was, uh, you know, I, I've always been, um, you know, my, my, my mother and grandmother raised me to be very respectful of women. So I, I never had a problem with, but I probably idolized women in my life. I put them on a pedestal and yeah. uh, as a result, I kept chasing women and it, it, it probably um you know dis- distracted me a lot in my life when i periods where i could yeah. have been a lot more productive and you know, and you know nothing to do relationship with the, yeah well nothing to do with the it's like um it's nothing to do with the women that you're chasing no, per se. No, like me. they're doing it's their me. own life it's your choice you do to, to keep chasing booze or drugs or yeah whatever whatever you chase yeah you know and, and look um, the thing the thing was that i i i loved self-destruction yeah yeah my aunt had taken her life and my best friend had taken his life and i couldn't understand what i couldn't wrap my head around yeah what drives a person to that so i wanted to get as close to that subconsciously yeah. as i possibly could to mm. try and understand it and yeah. you know, when I'd get drunk, I'd do silly things, you know, like walk across the road without looking or something like that, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'd always be surrounded by lots of people because I'm a social animal, you know. So I knew I knew people would take care of me, but eventually yeah. it got out of hand. And you know, um, it was a it probably affecting my my professional life because I wasn't as focused as I should have been on on the work I was doing, you know. Uh, and then, then you start to take things for granted. I mean, I, I took success for granted and then I just started phoning in the work, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and it's not like I was ever hugely successful, but I was, you know, successful in relatively speaking for a kid that came from, you know, Belmore in Sydney, you know, or, and, um, so I, I didn't, I didn't come back to, to a sort of a commitment to 
my faith until I was 35 years old where I just hit rock bottom. You know, I was working in Cambodia and my drinking had gotten out of hand because I was working with, you know, a lot of overseas people and a lot of expats and drinking is a way of life. In yeah. those countries, I was working in Vietnam too. I was working um, Thailand and, and just, I was away from, you know, I was a new father um, and I didn't, I didn't, I, I couldn't understand the responsibility that was required to be, a, you know, a father. And I yeah. think all, all that pressure, um, we, my wife and I were based in Bali at the time. And I, I just was internally crumbling under the pressure, you know, of, of having responsibility that, you know, I didn't understand. And so whenever I'd get these jobs overseas, I'd, I'd just kind of relish the freedom and I'd, you know, be a booze hound, you know. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I don't think I was ever like a, a daily alcoholic ever. Uh, but, I, you know, I could go weeks and weeks without drinking anything. But, when I did drink, I had no off switch. You know? Yeah, right. It was just that comfort thing you could go for, and it's that gratification immediately. And um, and you know, like I know, I know people. Um, I, even myself, I'll I'll have a, a drink every now and again. But the thing is, it's it's you've got to keep control of anything like that because, especially in times like this now with COVID, it's so easy to look for something else to you know, bl blot out the current situation, you know. You know, my problem was that I thought I'd go long periods without drinking anything, without getting drunk. And then I'd go, oh, okay, I can handle this. I can have it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is that it was the first or second drink that would that would push me over the edge, you know. Yeah. And so when I hit rock bottom, I, I just came, I had this moment, the truth and I, I i don't know necessarily what separated that moment of truth from other moments of truth where i thought you know i got to give this up and then tried and then it failed but this was different this was where i thought i could actually either lose my life um or i could lose my family and i had to wake up you know and to do that at 35 i mean i've always been a late bloomer i grew up a very shy kid wasn't very social. And I think alcohol and cigarettes helped me to be more social. Um, and uh, I, so I, I needed to, to, to come face to face with myself. And, and I realized I just didn't like myself at all. Um, and and what's, what changed everything was that my mother being a very prayerful and my mother's never been religious, but she's been extremely prayerful you know, and extremely, yeah. extremely knowledgeable about the faith, you know, like she, she, she knows the Bible better than most pastors. Huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, she had just done this exercise where over a hundred days she read the Bible. Wow. Out loud. <laughs> and it, and it sounds crazy, but, but what it did for her was it was like, it acted like a meditation. Not only did it help her understand the Bible better, but it helped her um, speak out the, the the promises that are inherent in in the Bible, the promises, the warnings, and all of those things, so that they actually, when you, I mean, when you you know the power of words, when you say things out loud, it it, it almost changes your DNA. Uh, it's hard to explain, but it mm. definitely reprograms your mind. 
um, and and just learning who you who you you are to God, you know that you matter to Him, and that you matter in the broader scheme of things. That you have value and importance, and that and that God really is love. And then also understanding the the history of the barbarism of the Bible um, in a contextualized way mm. uh, changed her under, her scope. Um, and then she encouraged me to do that. And I just started and I didn't have the, the capacity to do it. You know, I've, I've never, I, I find it hard to finish books at the best of time. Yeah. Um, but I did it. I did it over a hundred days and it was hard work. Cause it's like, it's a couple of hours a day or, or an hour and a half a day. And most of the Bible doesn't make any sense, you know, the first time you read it. Mm. And there's a lot of he beget this and he beget that and this this number of tribesmen. You know, there's a lot of like, um, you know, chronological stuff in the Bible that was really boring. <laughs> yeah. But when you read through the Psalms or through the story of David or through the Gospels especially, um, you, you start really understand what is being spoken to you personally through that. And this is where, you know, I, I started to realize, okay, religion has hijacked the Bible, but what it, what it really is, is it's a, it's a personal message um, that reflects different states of consciousness, you know, and, mm. and, and in meditating through that, the experience of, of whispering it out loud um, or speaking it out loud, I was able to understand what's what um, what I feel is really being written about in in those books, and it changed me. It changed my mindset. I realized that you know everything I was doing to destroy myself was um, was because I didn't have an understanding of the love that had been invested in me. You know, mm. at, at my birth, at my creation. You know, by my mother, but especially by a loving God and. And uh, it changed me it, and I literally lost uh, almost through, through that process. I literally lost almost overnight the desire to drink and the desire to smoke cigarettes. And I, and, and from that, it took me a hundred. Yeah. Probably just over a hundred days, you know, cause I, I, a few days I couldn't do it, but literally the day that I finished it, I, I got my visa approved to move to the United States. Oh, and, wow. Wow. And, and it was shortly after my second child, Aaliyah, had been born. And everything changed, you know, for me from that point. And I couldn't move, I couldn't afford to move my family to the U.S. Um, but yeah, so I, when I first moved to the U.S., I was alone, you know. Uh, that's around the time I met you, Andy. And yes, um, yeah. I was completely alone. So all I did was I put my head down and I worked and I took general meetings, you know, off the, it was on the back, off the back of the release of my film Terminus. So I took a lot of general meetings around Hollywood with different production companies, different producers, 